Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Third and Central Podcast, the only podcast dedicated solely to the University of Louisville baseball program. This is your host, joined by your co-host, Aaron Turner, tonight. Aaron, before we jump into things, just want to talk about a conversation we had a few minutes ago, and you were exposed to county fairs for one of the first times in your life, and growing up in a, in a small county I got to experience those often, and um, I can tell you they were uh, they were something. Uh, what, what what do you think about your first experience of the county fair? I think we could fill our entire forty five minutes tonight on the the play by play that that I saw there. But overall, it was a good experience, and I think we're going back a, a one or two more times this week. So <laughs> I'm sure I'll have plenty of stories to report here in a week or two. As if one time wasn't enough, I tell you the best thing about county fairs to do is just grab a lawn chair and just people watch the whole time. You could you could fill enough entertainment for one evening by just doing that and not even participating in the events at the actual fair itself. That is that is exactly uh, a, a lot of what we did tonight. <laughs> well, we are right in the middle of what many call the dog days of summer, but for baseball nuts like you and myself, there's a lot going on. We've got the Major League Draft. You know, Major League Baseball is – kicking up right now you know all-star break is right around the corner we'll definitely talk about that here in just a little bit before we jump into the draft just kind of recap what happened this season I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because quite frankly it's not something we really want to relive again Louisville missed the tournament for the second time in three years after going 31 and 24 not only missed the tournament they missed the, the conference tournament didn't get to go down and participate in the ACC tournament for the first time since joining the league. At one point in time, they were ranked, gosh, second or third by Baseball America, which I think was probably at that point in time too high for them. But when everybody kept losing, then Louisville kept winning. They were what 16 and one, 16 and two at that point in time. There, you know, there's no else to, nowhere else to go but up if you keep winning. So just kind of nature of what everybody was doing around them, they just by default kept catapulting in the rankings you know a lot of people gave the pitching staff a lot of grief this year but if you look at the numbers now that everything is completed the team era was 4.39 which doesn't sound phenomenal by any stretch of imagination but the way baseball is transitioning to this you know offensive explosion that we've seen over the past couple years that was 24th in the country so they have the 24th best era when you look on the flip side of that batting average They batted 280, which was 147th in the country. So I think the pitching staff took a lot of grief. don't think they necessarily deserved all the credit for that. 
Now, they did have some bumps along the way. You know, Peyton had some injuries, Christian Napchik, Gavin Keelan, the other two freshman catchers. So we were forced to put a first baseman around McCoy behind the plate. Kind of all that lumped together. And Louisville lost this last six ACC series after sweeping top 10 Boston College when they were really on the up and up at that point in time. So that's kind of how we got where we are. Aaron, what are your big takeaways from the season? Just an ugly, ugly taste in my mouth. It, it was, you know, it, not to sugarcoat anything, it, it sucks missing the, the tournament two of the last three years. That's not that's not what we're accustomed to. I know the team is disappointed. Coaching staff is disappointed. But uh, I remember, you know, Dan said this back in probably 2016 after we lost in the Supers in such an ugly way. Nobody's going to feel sorry for us, but, you know, maybe your friends and your family. So I know that the team is is out there and coaches are out recruiting again. Guys hit the ground running in the summer and, you know, we're we're going to hit the ground running again in the fall and hopefully we'll see a different result next spring. I think the hardest part about it, too, not only was just not performing well on the field, but as good as this NCAA tournament was this year, and there wasn't very often that they – I didn't have the tournament on, even though Louisville wasn't playing, but as good as the tournament was this year, I just wish like Louisville was a, getting to experience that. And as a fan, we were getting to experience that. One of the best college World Series I think I've I've seen and gosh, I mean a long time. There's a lot of talent out there this year in Omaha. But you know, that's the goal. That's the standard that Louisville has set. That's the standard that Dave McDonald expects out of his program. And like you said, they're out there recruiting and doing everything they can to get back to that level. But we'll jump into some of the portal stuff and recruiting here in just a few minutes. Why don't we go ahead and jump into what this draft looks like? You know, some of the guys that are on the current roster. This recruiting class is ranked in the top 20. Where can we expect some of those guys to hear their name called? Oh, Matt, I think I spend every, you know, I think I spent about a year doing draft prep. This is my favorite time of the year. As soon as the 2022 draft ended, I was already looking at the 2023 draft a week later. It's my favorite time of the year. And I think we've got a very interesting mix of guys this year. It is a little lighter than what we're accustomed to seeing at Louisville. Uh, but first, let's start off with Christian Napchik. Uh, and for the sake of these rankings here, I'm going to be using uh, Joe Doyle, who is a writer at Future Stars Series. I think that he's probably one of the best draft writers out there. Really enjoy his draft coverage. Uh, so he's got Christian Napchik as our highest ranked prospect right there at number 100 in the draft, which is a little bit lower than what we are used to seeing out of the top Louisville guy every year. I think that going into the season, you look at Napchik as a potential first-round guy, maybe early second round, uh, potential injuries, and I I really do think that a lack of uh, reps at second base really hurt his draft stock going into this draft. Uh, so you're probably going to see him around that 100 mark. I think he'll, he can go as high as 80, maybe as low as 110, 115, which puts him right there in the third round, maybe early fourth round. Um, to me, I think that he sh- should probably go a little bit higher. He, he definitely reminds me of a left-handed Nick Madrigal. And for those who are draft nuts like me, you remember Nick Madrigal from Oregon State going top 10 a few years ago to the White Sox. So I I disagree with Natrick's stock taking a hit here, but 
I can kind of, I can see a little bit where they're coming from. You said something interesting about Napchik, and this is something you and I've talked about quite a bit just amongst ourselves. Talk about him at second base a little bit. Is that kind of where you see him? Is that where most of the scouts project him as a second baseman rather than shortstop where we've seen him for most of his career? Uh, from what most of the scattering ports that I see, they all like him at second base, just the the glove and the the arm combination kind of profiles him as a professional second baseman. I know that earlier in his time at Louisville, he ended up at, at shortstop more out of necessity and he just kind of stuck around there for a while. Like I said, I would have really liked to see him get reps at second base this year. I, I understand why he didn't though. Uh, but I, I do think that did hurt his stock a little bit. Uh, so moving on to Jack Payton here. And I think you and I talk about this once a week, the Jack Payton hate in this draft blows my mind right now. He's ranked at number 322, which puts him in the latter half of a day two draft pick, probably around somewhere around like round six through nine. And to be honest with you, I absolutely hate that. I hate where a lot of people have Jack Payton. I guess it would be because of his defense. A lot of scouts are not high on his arm, but the bat, plays the bat is a professional bat i think the jack payton should go as high as the third round and who if there if he is uh sticking around long enough in the draft to go around six through nine then good for whatever team grabs him because they're going to be able to get a steal on jack payton i would also like to throw in that jack payton's brother mark is also a professional himself mark's been through this he knows he knows what to expect and can kind of help jack i feel like so I feel like a transition to pro ball for Jack Payton should not face him at all. Uh, don't be surprised, though, if we see him getting his first professional reps in the outfield. Like I said, a lot of people just are not high on that arm. So I think that we could see him out in left field before too long. You know, we talked about that a little bit last year because Payton was actually draft eligible in 2022 and didn't get any love whatsoever. And you and I were kind of shocked then. And to see him still, you know, around that mark where he is, you know, 322, like you said, rounds six through nine, somewhere in there. That's just, it's really shocking to me because, like you said, I think he's got one of the best, you know, catcher bats in this draft. But if, if they don't see him as a catcher, I mean, put him in the outfield. Like you said, the bat plays. I mean, it's a major league bat. He's, he, there's a space for him on a lineup somewhere. Yeah, I mean, the Jack Payton disrespect is just crazy to me. And I, I remember we talked about this last year going into the draft. And I think it was probably like five or 10 minutes before we recorded. It was a hold on, wait, Jack is eligible. Nobody, nobody really knew that he was eligible. He definitely flew under the radar. And I don't think that there was any question then that he was going back to school. Uh, so now that's not the case. He, he will be a professional here in about a week. Uh, so moving on to Ryan Hawks. Ryan Hawks is currently projected at pick number 206 which would place him about round four, four, five. A lot of people really like Ryan Hawks and have him comped to former Cardinal Kyle Funkhauser. I think that if Hawks uh, had had more time in the rotation past this season, I think you probably would see him sneak up to a higher pick. Personally, I do not like Hawks as a professional starter. I do think that he does move back to the bullpen. Uh, when he does get drafted, and I, I do think that that will be his home, but I would not be surprised either if 
if a team did give him some run, it started just to see what he had. You know, quick question about Hawks, not just Hawks, but just players that have gone through Tommy John in, in general because Hawks has a couple of years ago. Is that something that you think scouts are taking into consideration now? Because it seems like Tommy John now is becoming as normal as having an ACL surgery or something like that. Like, what, what are scouts looking at that? I mean, how, how serious do they take that into consideration when they're drafting a guy? I think maybe 10 years ago, scouts are pretty concerned about that. Now, probably not so much. You do see a lot of college guys and even some high school guys now who do go through the process of Tommy John. And I think that there are certain guys that people almost expect to have Tommy John at some point in their career, just the way that their delivery is, whether it be just such a violent motion or how hard they throw you, you kind of, there are people that think that it's bound to happen eventually. So there are scouts who think, you know, maybe if this guy had Tommy John early, you know, maybe he just gets it out of the way then and he's good to go for the future. Another way to look at it as well. So, I mean, it seems like it's just so common now that I don't think scouts are taking it as, I don't want to say they're not taking it as serious, but they don't, you know, they're not going to turn the page on a guy now just because they have Tommy John. Yep. Times have definitely changed, and I do not anticipate that that will be an issue for Hawks going into this draft. Uh, so moving on to JT Benson, he's at 416. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about JT Benson all year long. And I I remember saying back in April, you know, whoever grabs Benson in the draft will will have the seal of the draft. The dude is just an athlete. Uh he's gonna, you know, he hits the ball very hard. He's he turned himself into a really good defender. I I wish that we saw a higher number next to his name. Unfortunately, just some injury plagued years for a couple of years in a row now kind of hurt his stock going into this draft a little bit. I would say we likely see him return to school for his senior year, uh, regardless of where he gets picked, unless some team really does reach for him in, in uh, day two. Yeah, I think we probably see Benson back in Louisville next year, which I think is is, is good, obviously, for Louisville because I really like Benson's game. I really like his style of play. I think it fits Dan McDonald's, Dan McDonald's offense very well. But I also think it would it could help Benson because I think if he comes back for another year and stays healthy and you know puts up numbers that we know he can, I think he could improve his draft stock if professional baseball is something he wants to pursue. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. I I kind of think of Ben Metzinger when I think of guys like that. You know, guys who uh, you know had to go through a lot of injuries in their time at Louisville, but. But Ben came through with a really good senior year and really helped his draft stock going into the draft last year, which he ended up going in the seventh round to Milwaukee. I do think that we could see a similar situation to uh, to JT uh, going into next year's draft. Uh, so that takes me to our final ranked player, which is Greg Ferrone. Uh, he is listed at number 499. Ferrone is an interesting one to me. I I do not know. I, I don't have a feel for if he will come back to school or if he would or if he would go the pro ball route. I do think his the stats this year aren't as sexy as what I think they should be. I've seen a lot of people refer to him as an analytics darling. You know, he's only th- he's left-handed pitcher, big guy, but he's only throwing, you know, 90 to 92 uh most days. I, I think that he's got a lot of room in him. To add on to that fastball velocity, I do think that he plays professionally as a starter, at least to begin with. 
like I said, you know, just a late round draft pick in Ferone, I I don't have a feel for for what he would do in the event that he gets drafted. Yeah, and I think Ferone is a guy that, you know, we looked at his numbers at JUCO when he played up in New York. He just put up silly numbers. I don't have in front of me, but he was striking out 2021 20, per nine innings or something crazy like that. So and when and we first took the field at Louisville, we we saw some of that. And then it, it seemed like towards the middle and end of the season, he started walking some guys and he, he'd give up a home run or give up a big hit. And it seemed like he got mental with Ferone. So, you know, I, I don't know where he stands, but I think he could use another year to develop on that part of his game. But we'll see. You know, it all depends. I, I think, he, like you said, he's a big guy. He's a lefty. Um, I think his game projects, but we'll, we'll just see where his name is called and what what decision he makes after the draft. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, sticking with a couple more college arms here, a pair of lefties, uh, Tate Keener and Evan Webster. Tate is a really interesting name to me going into the draft. A guy that can can do it all no matter what role he's asked to do, start, you know, be a reliever, be a closer, be a long reliever. The dude can do it all. And I, I one of my favorite parts of his game is just his competitiveness. Dude is a fiery player on the mound. I, I absolutely love it. I don't really know what scouts have seen with him just because he's he has not shown up on a lot of, of draft boards. I really like him as a potential day three pick. I think that, once again, a team that grabs him is going to get a steal. I, I think that that is an arm that does not need a whole lot of polishing. Just let him go, go out there, fine-tune his game a little bit, and let him move up your system. He's a guy that reminds me a lot of like an Adam Elliott. He's like a yeah. utility pitcher almost. You know, he can start, he can throw an inning or two relief here and there. He can close the game out. He's he's so valuable to a pitching staff. Uh, we've seen him do a little bit of everything in his time here. And then finally, I want to touch on Evan Webster just briefly here. Webster, feel, it feels like he's been at Louisville forever. Forever. You know, and I'm, I'm going to miss uh, having him in that bullpen. He was just absolute bulldog out there. Yeah, he was he was another fun guy to watch for me. I don't know if I particularly see him getting drafted, but I if he does choose to go the pro ball route, I very well could see an undrafted free agent deal, which since the draft got shortened in 2020, that has become very common. Uh, we've seen Danny Oriente, Justin Levy do that in 2020. And then last year, uh, Cam Masterman and Carter Loman also went that route. I do think that 2023 – could see Evan Webster also following that same career trajectory. Do you see a scenario? Let's say you've got a guy like Evan Webster. I'd say he doesn't get drafted. You know, he gets offered a contract, but he can technically come back to school next year. Like he's got a COVID year. Um, do you see a situation where a guy like Webster, who maybe just doesn't want to pursue professional baseball, but he just doesn't want to give up college ball yet, and, you know, come back for another year? Or do you think that's off the table? Oh, absolutely. I definitely think that he could come back. I don't I don't know Evan personally. I I don't know what what's going on uh in in his mind what he's leaning towards. You know, and there there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, just just calling it quits after your college career and Evan's had a really good one uh so far. So if he does choose to come back for another year due to COVID, I definitely could see that happening. If he does choose to go the professional ball route, this year is his year, even if it is on an undrafted free agent deal. 
think by the time next year rolls around, you, you're probably looking at a guy who's a little bit too old for teams to take a chance on him. So if it if he's going to go into pro ball, it will be this year. The thing I like about Webster is he made 20-some-odd appearances this year, and I'd have to fact-check this, but 100% of them were he entered the game with the bases loaded. Like It seems like every time Evan Webster took the ball, the bases were loaded. It was just a terrible situation. And that he just kind of became accustomed to that. He was just kind of the 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 pickup guy. You know, he came and picked up the dirty innings um, out of the bullpen. And it, it, his value is, you know, very significant when a bullpen, you know, like we had this year. So love to see a guy like that come back if that's the route that he decides to take. So moving on to the high school guys, the, the group that is committed to Louisville in the class of 2023. Uh, I want to highlight four guys in particular who could hear their name called on draft day, but I really do think that there is a strong possibility that we end up with all four on campus. So I'm going to start with Parker Detmers. He is listed at 112 on Doyle's list of top draft prospects. And normally I would say that a high schooler around that range, you're probably looking at a pro ball guy. But with a last name like Detmers, I really do think that the uh, the coaching staff and ho- hopefully Reed has been working on Parker a little bit to to get him on the campus. I, personally, I think the the sky is the limit for Parker. I love the arm. Uh, if you're not familiar with Parker Detmers, you will be very soon. I do think that he is a day one contributor, and if he does make it to campus, you are looking at a guy who you know could potentially see a few starts next year. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about Parker, whichever route he decides to take. And going to college obviously worked out for his brother. So I think he should go to college. That's just my opinion. Um, but, you know, whatever he decides to do, he's, he's going to be great. Um, he's, he's got that bloodline in him. Uh, but really excited about Parker. Hopefully he's wearing the red and black. Love to see him here on campus. But um, we'll see here in just a short period of time. So the next name on the list that I really like, is Zion Rose. They've got him listed at number 169 on the uh, big draft prospects board. Rose is probably the guy that I am least confident on going into the draft in, in terms of making it to campus. There's been a lot of pro ball buzz about him. Uh, at 169, they've got him you know, probably around round five. Uh, so if a team were to pick him in round five, they'd definitely have to pay pretty big overslot on him. I don't know if a team would be willing to commit that amount of money uh, to get Rose off of his commitment to Louisville, because I do know that it is a pretty strong commitment. And then also, I think we're looking at a pretty intriguing catching catching situation next year as well, with a couple of guys coming off of uh, off some injuries from this previous season. We don't know really know what the status of their health will be going into 2024. And I do, I, even regardless of the injuries, I do think that Zion Rose is once again another day one contributor. You, I really do think that we could see him in the lineup on opening day next year. If you've never seen Zion Rose, he's like a 40-year-old man, and he's 18 years old. Uh, one thing about Rose, too, and and you know how, how kids are on social media and stuff, but he just went to the Combine, got to participate out there in the MLB Combine, and he's been talking about – you know, Louisville a lot on Twitter. Next stop is Louisville baseball and tagging Louisville quite a bit on stuff. So I don't know. He, he could be playing mind games with us and just getting us all happy and 
you know, excited thinking he's going to show up on campus because this is – I'm really excited about Parker Detmers, definitely. But I think Zion Rose is a guy that can, like you said, can contribute from day one. And who knows what this catching situation is. And we all saw in 2023 that you can never have enough catchers on a roster. So I think Zion Rose is a guy that can compete from day one. I think I saw at one point in time he had the highest exit velocity of anyone at the MLB Combine at one point in time. I'm sure that may have changed. I'm not 100% certain. But all that to be said, um, the, the kid's a player. Um, I've talked to him a couple of times. Good kid, good family. And I think he really can contribute from day one if we can get him on campus. I 100% agree. And then you were just going back to that social media tagging thing. Not to bring you down a little bit, but that could definitely be a play to uh, to drive up that that signing bonus too. If if it looks like he really is uh, that committed, hey, listen, just let me have my moment, okay? <laughs> hey, good for good for Zion though. Whatever he decides to do, the the kid's going to be a stud. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to Colton Hartman, uh, if you look at Hartman on our list of commits for twenty twenty and the class of twenty twenty three on the PG website. He is the top guy. He's number one left-handed pitcher out of Ohio. His draft stock going into the draft kind of took a little bit of a hit, not necessarily because of his stats, probably more so the rise of others. He saw himself fall a little bit. Uh, Doyle has him at 377. With Hartman sitting right there, I feel pretty confident about being able to get him onto campus. Once again, I think we're looking at another guy that we're going to see contribute a lot next year. Here's the thing that's exciting to me about this class. And if you look at it on paper, they're ranked 21st overall by perfect game, which that, that isn't, you know, super exciting for Louisville. You know, we want to be higher than that. But the thing about baseball, there's a fine balance. You know, if you look at the top guys, you let's say you look at Arkansas, who's got the best class, or Vandy, who's second. If you look at their class, a good majority of their guys are ranked in the top 100. Well, they're not going to get all them on campus. You know, if you look at a school like Louisville, who's 21st, solid class, and you got to think you're going to keep most of those guys together. You may lose, I think, one at the most, I'm hopeful. So if you lose one, your your class ranking, you really, you're pretty safe to bet you're not going to drop because you're only losing one guy where everybody in front of you is going to fall quite a bit. So you're going to catch up to him. So I, I think this class – I think the coaching staff has to feel pretty good going into the draft, knowing that the guys they have committed are going to come. Whereas if you're Arkansas or Vandy or one of those guys at the top, you're, you're probably not going to hold that class together. Definitely. And then one more name I want to put out there. Uh, this is a name that Matt and I have been very excited about. And we've talked a lot. I don't, not sure that as many fans there are, will know this name, uh, but George Baker, if you don't if you don't know Baker, you will know him very soon. Once again, another catcher. Uh, he is not ranked on Doyle's list, but he did participate in the combine. Once again, like Rose, just had some stupid exit velocities at the the combine. I believe he his highest was, I believe around one twelve, and that's just that's nuts. The the kid is a beast. Once again, with the catching situation going into next year. There's a lot of question marks, especially because we know that we're going to lose uh, Jack Payton as well. There's a lot of playing time that has become available. So, once again, super excited to get hopefully the pair of Rose and Baker on campus next year. So, you want to talk about catcher U and who this university has produced and, and the catchers we've had come out of here over the past couple of years. 
and who's going to come out this year with Jack Payton. Just imagine adding Rose and Baker to that list because, I mean, those are both studs. I've talked to Baker's travel ball coach, and he said he's one of the best defensive catchers he's ever seen come through high school. So a lot of praise for these young kids that hopefully we can get them to campus and keep this catcher new tradition going. All right, so one final draft question for you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, so Perfect Game just released their most recent mock draft less than a week to go to the draft. At number one to Pittsburgh, they had Max Clark, followed by Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Walker Jenkins, and Wyatt Langford. That seems to be a consistent top five. Uh, we've seen a lot of Skeens or Cruz at number one. If you were Pittsburgh, who are you taking with that pick? At one? Yes. I think I would take Paul Skeens. Interesting. All right. Now, now you got to give a reasoning. I mean, I, I watched the guy throw a lot, especially in the College World Series, because it seemed like he threw every other game for LSU. And for him to be throwing, you know, 100 mile an hour or faster, 70, 80 pitches in the game, I mean, that's unheard of. That's, you know, that's Verlander stuff. So I just think I think he's a big power arm, mature guy. I think he's a guy if you I think if you draft him this year, I think he's a guy that could see a major league mound before the end of the season. I I definitely agree with that. I will say that I am team Dylan Cruz. I, I do I do think though that Skeens and Cruz at one, you can flip a coin. Yeah. Uh I was very surprised to see Max Clark put in that number one spot. Um uh, but you know, there's a there's a very strong five at the top of that draft that any one of them can hear their name called in that in that one spot. I think it's a situation, you know, going into last year, nobody thought Henry Davis was going to be first. You know, they, they knew who's going to be up, you know, near the top, but nobody thought it was going to be, you know, one one. So I think the situation is going to be similar this year. I don't think you're going to know who it is, you know, possibly until you know draft night. And then one final thing, and then we'll just, we'll get off the draft. And they have Kyle Teal at six. How do you feel about that? I don't love Teal's game. I think you feel the same way I do about yeah. Teal. I think he's way overhyped. I've watched you know Teal play a lot in college, just when Louisville has played against Virginia. But um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not as high on Teal as a lot of guys are. I think that's a stretch to take him at six. I, I agree. I'm not a Kyle Teal guy. Uh, and for most of the season, I've been rooting on his or hoping on his downfall. Because I, I do think that Jack Payton should be the best catcher in the ACC. But that's a conversation for another time. We'll wrap up the draft with one final note. Dan McDonald currently sits at 99 career draft picks. He will be hitting 100 next week, which is a huge milestone. And, you know, I'm. I'm very excited to see who number 100 is going to be. That's a, you know, pretty spectacular. When he came here in 2007, I don't think he thought he'd be sitting, you know, the 2023 draft that he'd have 100 guys getting drafted in that time span. So that's a huge testament to him and the coaching staff and the players that have come through here over the past 15 plus years. More from the Third and Central podcast on the State of Louisville Podcast Network right after this. So we'll go ahead and jump into the transfer portal. Haven't had as much 
action in the portal as I thought we may see, but it, it's early. There's still a lot of movement in. I don't know if we're going to have a lot more movement going out at this point in time. So, so far we have lost Alex Galvan, a uh, big right-handed pitcher. This year made 15 appearances just through over 11 innings. Had an ERA of 635. Throws hard. I thought he would be a, a closer possibly this past season, but just couldn't get it together. Um, but Galvan actually just committed to Central Florida, so he'll be heading down there as they move into the Big 12 this year. Next one is Ben Wigman. Um, had 11 appearances this year with a non-ERA. Brentley Bamber, he was a catcher out of Tennessee. This was his freshman season, and he – did not record any stats. He never made an appearance. Noah Smith, interesting one from around the Chicago area, middle infielder. He only batted 191 this year. Had four doubles, a handful of RBIs. But last year as a freshman, I think after the season, a lot of people had a, a lot of high hope for Smith this year because he batted 318 as a freshman. Limited at-bats, about 44 at-bats, but still um, was – he really shined during his time that he um, got on the field, but with Gavin Keelan coming in this year and Napchick and everybody else we had in the infield, he just, he just couldn't, couldn't break the field. And when he did, he really struggled in the box. Tyler Hawkins. He's also hit the transfer portal. I personally really like Hawkins. He's a uh, Lexington kid here from Kentucky. Um, just couldn't get the bat going. You know, defensively, he's just super special. Covers a ton of ground. Favorite thing about Hawkins, we've talked about this on here before, was that game at UK this year. We beat them seven to nothing. I think it was the top of the ninth inning. He got the pinch hit, you know, against his hometown school in Lexington and hit a home run over the left field wall. Just kind of a last swan song is his time in uh, in Lexington. So I thought that was really, really cool moment for him. Uh, Jameson Richmond, another freshman, didn't record any stats this year. So those are the guys that have left. Will Cook, first baseman, competed with um, Ryan McCoy over at first base this year. He hit 244, hit three home runs with 17 starts. And Cook is a guy that I've been really high on. And I, I don't know if it's just that he hasn't had the consistent at-bats with everything that happened this year with injuries and you know, players moving around and trying to get in the right lineup. But Cook displays a ton of power when he gets a hold of the ball. But anyways, Cook announced that he was going to leave. And then just a couple of days later, he pulled his name out of the transfer portal and he's going to be returning for next season. So that's kind of where we are right now. I think at this point in time, if you were going to put your name in, you probably would have. So I, I, I don't know. I, I thought we would see more guys put their name in to transfer. We haven't, but there's still time left. What do you think about the guys that we've lost? I'm sorry, I forgot one. Ethan Patera, he also put his name in the transfer portal just recently. Big pitcher. I think he was ranked right around 200 in the class last year by perfect game as a, as a pitcher. Um, I thought we'd seen a little bit this year as a freshman, to be honest with you especially the way the bullpen kind of struggled at times to find the zone. I thought he may be another guy to toss the ball to and see if he could he could get a couple outs, but we didn't. So, Patera, he's in the um, portal. All the guys except for Galvan, they, they haven't announced where they're going yet. So, could they come back? 
I think that door's open if they wanted to. Um, but anyway, so, so for the guys that are that have announced so far, they're heading out and going looking elsewhere. What do you think? Any any key losses there? Truthfully, I don't think there's any surprises here. Right. I think you and I kind of speculated on this as the, the season came close to ending. You and I kind of spitballed who we thought could leave in the portal. I think we've been pretty spot on with, with the guys that we did throw out there. Yeah, I think we – I mean, like I said, it, we're, we're late in the summer at this point in time, so I figured if we – I think there's a couple other names that I've heard that could toss their name in the portal, but um, we'll see. I think we may hear – if we do, it would be shortly if they want to, you know, get in the mix to to start looking for a new school. We've also got a couple guys that are transferring in. At this point in time, we've got three guys that have pulled the trigger that have committed to Louisville. The first one is a big time name out of Quincy University in Luke Napleton, um, six foot one, two hundred and five pound catcher, and he hit twenty nine home runs this year. For Quincy, 87 RBIs and 187 total bases, which all led the nation in Division Two. Not only that, he chipped in with 18 doubles. He only bat, he batted 352 as a catcher and a 12.45 OPS. He was a Great Lakes Valley Conference Player of the Year for his numbers this year that were just video game like silly numbers. You don't you don't see stuff like that. So. You know, the biggest thing when you look at D2 guys that transition up to D1 is how does that how does that translate? You know, when you you put up numbers like that, you know, 29 home runs and 87 RBIs, how does that translate to playing against ACC guys every weekend? So, yeah, that's something we'll see. There's that bats and the innings are there, especially behind the plate like we talked about. I did talk to Napleton. Um, he's super excited about Louisville. He thinks this is, you know, the best – opportunity for him to get to the next level and play professional baseball, which is, that's his goal. He also told me that he can step into the outfield if he has to. So he, he can, and th- that's something that if we needed his bat to play, we could put him in the outfield just to have his bat in the lineup. A second guy we've had so far commit is Jake Caraba. He's a pitcher from Lewis university. Another guy from the D two level. Put up some pretty good numbers last year, seven and two with a 1.62 ERA. Uh, he was also named Midwest Pitcher of the Year in D2. Um, I think my favorite thing about him when you look at his numbers on paper is that he threw four complete games this year, and two of those four complete games were shutouts, which that's big, especially when you know you have a bullpen like like Louisville had this past year that just that struggled at times. So if you've got a guy that can throw you, you know, seven, eight, nine innings and get through a full game or get through, you know, the majority of the the game, it, it really eases up the pressure on your bullpen. So super excited to see what he can bring to the table. And then finally, Dylan Hoy, he's a middle infielder from Marist. If you look at his numbers on paper, not super eye-popping. About a 245 this year. Four home runs, 19 RBIs, but he did hit. Um, he did have 16 stolen bases. He is a guy that really fits the Dan McDonald mold, though. Um, you know, kind of smaller guy. He's quick. Um, he can run a lot. If he gets the ball in play, you know, he's going to look to hit a double out of the box every time. In 2021, he did hit 410. So you know, it, it's there. Um, just got to hope that we see it next year. He's also playing in Cape Cod this year with Patrick Forbes on the Brewster 
Whitecaps, he's hitting 235 right now with one RBI. And one thing that popped out to me was he's already got 10 walks this year in the Cape Cod. So um, good to see that, especially out of a guy that can run. He's going to steal a lot of bases. He's a, he's a threat on the base path. To see him drawing walks like that is um, – that's a, a good skill to have. I want to go back to Napleton real quick. You know, just adding another catcher to the mix, along with the two we talked about earlier in Baker and Rose, if they do make it to campus, and then you look at Klein and Veerling, who both got at-bats this year and both looked pretty good both at the plate and behind the plate, you're looking at a very interesting group of catchers who all five of them could have a – or there's a reason for all five of them to be able to start on opening day. Uh, we don't know the status of Klein and Veerling just yet, uh, but I would assume that you'll be seeing all five of them in some capacity next year. I just think it's going to be interesting to see how those innings are divided up. Yeah, it's going to be – I'm curious to see how that's going to play itself out. But, like, we know it does. It, it always works itself out. So, But it's, it's – like you said, you've got five guys that are capable of starting from day one, so – but that's why Dan McDonald's paid the big bucks. He gets to he gets to figure those things out and fill up a lineup card, right? Yep. So let's go ahead and talk about summer ball and what's going on right now. Just a couple of the highlights of you know guys that stand out to me as I watch these summer ball games. And if you ever want to watch Cape Cod games, they are all streamed on D1's website. So if you get on D1 Baseball, you can watch all of the Cape Cod games on there, which is where Gavin Keelan is. And currently Keelan is tearing it up in the box. He's batting 328, 10 RBIs, four doubles. I feel like every time I get on Twitter every night, Falmouth Commodores, which is who he's playing for, they're tweeting about Gavin Keelan and his offensive production that he's putting out this year. So batting 328, that is good for second in the Cape Cod this year, which for those that don't know, Cape Cod, I mean, that's the premier college baseball league in summer ball. That's where the best of the best go. So the fact that he's got the second best batting average, it's pretty impressive, especially for a freshman. Now let's talk about what he's doing defensively. Because right now he is field, his fielding percentage is 870. That includes seven errors in 16 games that he's played in the field. Now, you and I both know that's not Gavin Keelan, right? Like, the reason Gavin Keelan was drafted as high as he was last year was not because of his bat. It was because of his glove and his arm. That's that's why he was drafted so high. So, I don't know. I, I, you and I talked about this the other day. I'm not as concerned about that because I know that's not Keelan. But at some point in time, you know, if it becomes repetitive and if it, if it becomes – there's a mental component to that as well. So – I don't know, but I really like Keelan. I think he's got a really good game. Um, love his bat. He's probably probably leadoff hitter for us next year unless something changes. But you know, got to get that fielding percentage up. And behind him, Patrick Forbes, who's also in the Cape Cod on the mound. He has been lights out. Um, just three appearances, 6.2 innings. I think one of those was a start. Um, he's given up six hits, two walks, nine strikeouts and most importantly hasn't given up a single run yet in six and two-thirds so really excited about Patrick Forbes um, if you look at 
numbers up there in Cape Cod, even the guys that start, they typically don't go past, you know, four, five, six innings. Every game is almost a bullpen game. So if you see a guy through two or three innings, that's kind of as long as they'll go. Um, same thing with Will Coger. He's in the Cape Cod. Uh, he's got five appearances, nine and two-thirds, and he's got a 2.79 ERA. We saw this last year out of Will. You know, he struggled down here at Louisville's freshman season, went up to Cape Cod, tore it up, came back and, you know, kind of struggled to find the strike zone again. So we'll see what um, what Will brings back this year. But so far this summer, Coger has been lights out up there. Um, bouncing around to the Northwoods League, Michael Lippy, who is a guy that I think could see some innings in the outfield next year. He's batting 287, got six doubles, two triples, a home run, and 20 RBI. Most impressive to me, guy's drawn 30 walks this summer. <laughs> it's like somebody just throw the baseball to him. Uh, but anyways, I think Lippy's a big guy, real athletic frame. Um, I, but I think he could log some innings possibly next year in the outfield if it plays right. Another guy that's going to compete for innings next year in the outfield is uh, local star Corbin Dickerson right here out of Trinity. He's having a good year um, for the Madison Mallards in, in the Northwoods League. He's batting 279, um, got a home run, 12 RBIs. What's been most impressive to me about Corbin is his defense. The, if you follow the Mallards on Twitter, if you just kind of Google his name, you'll see some of the plays he's made, you know, diving plays and throws he's made from the outfield. So uh, I think he's a guy that brings a lot of athleticism to the table next year. And then the last one I want to touch on, not just because I want to say his name, but because he's having a, a pretty good summer, and that's Wyatt Daniel Levich. Um, he's playing in the NECBL for the Newport Goals. Um, another pitcher, five appearances, 1.42 ERA. So got a couple arms. I guess the other two I do want to touch on, Kate Grundy. He's also in the Cape Cod. Um, he's thrown over 11 innings, 2.38 ERA. So the pitchers that are going up there to the Cape Cod and the, you know, these summer leagues for us, they're performing really well. So we just have to find a way to get that to translate back to Louisville next year. Like, I don't know what what that disconnect is because they're they're facing talent up there. I mean, they're playing against the best of the best up there. So hopefully this these numbers that we're seeing will translate back to Jim Patterson Stadium next year. Yeah, it's been been a great summer for, for a lot of these guys. I think most intriguing to me would be Will Coger and Patrick Forbes just mm-hmm. for the sake that we need some arms next year. We need, we need those guys to be able to step up and and perform on the mound so i i do think that you could look at both will coger and patrick forbes and say that both of them have a legitimate chance to be in the weekend rotation yeah i think you know as of right now if you look at who's coming back next year you've got carson liggett and we'll talk about this many times between now and next february but you've got carson liggett who's who's going to be a weekend guy i mean he's been a weekend guy for the end of um 2022 and all of 2023. So you got to think that he's going to be a weekend guy in 2024. But outside of that, you know, you really don't have anybody that's set in stone. So if you can get somebody like Coger or Grundy to take one of those starts, that would be huge. And the innings are there to be taken. So it's really up to them at this point in time to, to, to take those innings and step up and be the guy going into their junior year. 
So we are going to jump away from summer ball for a minute and kind of talk about Dan McDonald and some of his comments after the season and that got everybody in an uproar, everybody that hasn't been paying attention for the past couple of years anyways, because this is something that McDonald has talked about. He's been frustrated with for, for some time now. It, 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 it's the facilities here. Let's be honest. It, people took it the wrong way. The reason Louisville went 31 and 24 didn't have anything to do with the facilities. And, I and that's not what Danny McDonald was saying. You can go back and listen to it a hundred times. He didn't, he never said that. And that's not what he meant. But it, it, it's becoming awful difficult to recruit when you look at what's happening around us. Tennessee just invested $100 million in their stadium for renovations. That, that's renovations. That's not even – that's not a whole new stadium. That's just renovations to the current stadium. Kentucky just built a $53 million stadium. You know, Clemson's making upgrades, it seems like, every time we turn around. So – at some point in time, you have to keep up with the Joneses or, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's getting more challenging to recruit. And what Dan was saying was that he just wanted to be at a place that was committed to winning. And I think that's fair. Um, he talked about if you walk around the stadium, you know, we haven't made any changes to some of the areas within the stadium since it was built back in, what, 2005. So since then, Dan and athletic director Josh Hurd have gotten together and they've talked and come up with a plan, and they had $3 million earmarked to baseball to upgrade the locker rooms, the training room, the workout area, the dugouts, and overall aesthetics of the ballpark, which are all areas, again, that have not been upgraded since 2005. Prior to 2023, they did make a million-dollar upgrade to the exterior of the building, and walking up to it and driving up to it, it does look much better. It's much more physically impressive, the curb appeal from the road, if you look at the stadium. But that's not what sells seats. That's not why recruits come here. They want to see the locker rooms. They want to see the dugouts. They want to see that type of, you know, things that they are going to get to experience. So the, the projects, according to Herd, are going to start this summer. So hopefully we'll see some of those in action here before too long. And a lot of this is due to a large donation from a former player, which I've been told was pretty significant, three, $400,000. So um, I think we'll find out soon who that is because I've been told there's going to be a part of the upgrade that could be named after one of those players. So keep an eye out for that in the near future. Two other things that they want to do, I guess three other things, the Hack Shack, which is, the facility down the right field line, right past the Louisville bullpen. That's the indoor like hitting facility. They want to make some upgrades to that and make some changes there. And then some, make some upgrades to fan engagement. They didn't detail that, but that's something that they want to do once these other items are marked off the list. And then the big thing that we've all talked about for years and years since COVID is the indoor facility. We've all seen pictures of what it's supposed to look like and where it's supposed to go. And we know that Kroger made a $3 million donation to jumpstart the project. But Heard said the other day, and we all know this is true, if you've, if you've been alive for the past handful of years, that cost of everything have doubled or tripled in some instances. So he, they want to do the indoor facility. It's on the list. 
I think Hurt is committed to doing that because he, he knows that the baseball program was promised that. But it, it, it comes down to money, and the funding just has to be there. And when you've got a project like that that has doubled since you initially talked about it, where does that money come from? That's the big thing. So good news that they're getting stuff done and checking things off the list. But also, we've got a long way to go to catch up to some of these other SEC and ACC programs. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's a little frustrating to look at a school that's kind of been the laughing stock of the ACC for the last few years in the form of Boston College and see that even they have put forth money to better the facilities that, that they have. And it looks really nice. When, when you start to fall behind schools like that, it gets very frustrating, you know, not necessarily from the outside, but definitely on the inside because it is – it does get very hard to recruit against schools that are, you know, more flashy, just overall look better, better facilities, everything. So like you said, McDonald meant no, no ill intent behind his comments at the end of the year. And I think that a lot of people took one or two quotes way out of context. Uh, but I'm, I'm very happy that, that we're finally getting the ball rolling on some of these projects. Well, and you know, as well as anybody, I'd like to rivalry as much as anyone and talk about Kentucky and whatnot. So I'm going to step out of that seat and, not, and I'm not doing this to talk about Kentucky because they're Louisville's rival, but there is no reason that the University of Kentucky should have nicer baseball facilities than the University of Louisville. It just shouldn't happen. Sure. Kentucky went to a super regional this year. I understand they had a good season, but if you look at the history, that's the second super regional they've ever been to, right? And they just built a $53 million stadium that's absolutely gorgeous. I think anybody in Louisville would love to have something similar to that. But I think it also comes down to, you know, the school being committed, but I think the fans have to be committed too, right? I mean, when you look up in the stands and, you know, Louisville's playing a top 10, top 15 team, and we've got a 1,000 people in the seats, well. Are we, are, do we need to spend money on this if nobody's coming? So I, th- I think at some point in time, the fans have to answer the call too, not only the athletic department, but there's no reason to expand the stadium right now if you can't fill up what you got, right? Like what? That doesn't make any sense. That's just basic math. Yeah, you know, that that's unfortunately you're exactly right. And I would also like to go back to earlier comment because I I refuse to ever pass up on a, on a moment like this the 2017 super regional that was Kentucky's first super uh that was when Drew Ellis became part owner of the Kentucky Wildcats just want everybody to remember that moment uh that was that was one of the best moments in Louisville baseball history I think I, I, I that super regional I went to both of those games there's only two because that's all it took um and I, I was I was at both of those games so Glad that um, we got to end Kentucky season that way. They've been to, you know, four super regional games. They, they haven't won one yet, but they've been to four. Um, so I guess they can they can hang that next to their – the road to Omaha goes through Lexington poster. They've gotten their dugout somewhere. So good luck with that. Do uh, participation trophies and super regionals exist? I guess we don't we don't uh, we don't hang those in Louisville. We actually go to the College World Series, but <laughs> I digress on that tonight. All right, All so right. Aaron, I know there's been a lot going on in the pro ranks as well. I know we got some exciting stuff with 
some all-stars and all that good stuff. So why don't you kind of catch us up to speed on that? I know you could probably talk about this for two or three hours with everything that's been going on lately. So um, the floor is yours. You know, since the last time we've recorded, there's been just a crazy amount of things that that have happened in the pro ball world. And you're right, definitely could talk about it for two hours, but I'll try and keep it in two or three minutes here. Uh, so since the last time we recorded, Bobby, both Bobby Miller and Henry Davis have come up to make their major league debuts. Bobby Miller got off to a historic start through his first probably three starts of his career. He had an ERA of just .78, and just a ridiculous run. Uh, stumbled a little bit in his last couple, and then rebounded a couple nights ago in Kansas City. He sits at a major league record of four and one this year. Just a really great start to his big league career. I do think that you are looking at, at a potential Cy Young contender in future seasons as he continues to mature. And then going over to Henry Davis here, Henry really came up just incredibly fast, less than 500 minor league at-bats before his major league debut, and he came out swinging. Currently coming into play tonight, his batting average up over 300. He's already knocked in his first career home run, and there's going to be many more that come along with it. So we got a couple of young guys in the league that that are rookies and are going to are going to be big helps to their their organizations, and I think that we're looking at a pair of potential all-stars here in the future. So next up, we are looking at Will Smith. Uh, you know, I've been been harping on this for years. Will Smith should have been an all-star last year and the year before, but he has finally done it. Will Smith is a 2023 all-star. It's about time. So Will Smith will be heading up to Seattle uh, during the all-star break. Super happy for Will. His first career all-star selection, and it's way overdue. Yeah, uh, I don't understand how he hasn't been selected before. I know it's a fan vote, so I guess I do understand how it's happened. But you would think, especially market like L.A., that they would kind of will their way into, you know, putting Smith into the all-star game. But I, I guess stranger things have happened. Uh, take away fan voting. Uh, I 100% think that fan voting needs to be taken away, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, Matt Cook is back in the big leagues. Uh, he made a couple appearances last year with the Mariners. They let him go, and he signed a minor league deal with the Colorado Rockies uh, this past offseason. They selected his contract this past week. He's already made two big league appearances, uh, logged three innings, and he has yet to allow a run. So a, a great return to the big leagues for Matt Cook. And, you know, especially with Colorado Rockies, a very tough place to pitch. So best of luck to Matt as he continues to, to move forward this season. And then we've got a couple guys I think are very close to making their major league debut, uh, Devin Mann and Tyler Fitzgerald. If you follow my uh, my pro account on Twitter, you'll see probably a nightly tweet of Devin Mann doing something ridiculous. Honestly, it's a joke that he's not up in L.A. right now. They have gaping holes at second base and third base. Devin Mann hit nearly 400 in the month of June in AAA. Uh, he actually just hit another home run tonight. He's up to probably 14, 15 this year already. Leads the league in doubles, leads his team in RBIs. I don't really know what they're waiting for. Um, you know, these kind of things take time, unfortunately. And for, you know, I, I think it's way past due. If it were up to me, he would have been up two weeks ago. And then second, looking at Tyler Fitzgerald, 
Fitzgerald has come on really strong in the Giants organization. Uh, he's even getting some time in center field now, so he's been playing both shortstop and center field for Triple A Sacramento. Dude's just been swinging a hot bat, just like Devin Man. Think, uh, think he might need an injury or two up at the big league level for him to get a shot. But either way, I do think that we're looking at two more guys who could and probably should make their big league debut in 2023. You know, I made a joke the other day because you you tweet every time Devin Man hits a home run, which that that keeps you busy enough in itself. But I joked the other day, and I was like, you know, every time I open this app, I feel like Devin Man has hit another home run. And it, it just seems like every single night the dude is doing something spectacular. You know, I'm kind of frustrated. I'm only a fan, and I, I'm frustrated that he's not up in the big league level. So, just I, you know, he's just going to keep plugging away, and he'll he'll eventually get his number called. Now, talking about Will Smith going to the All Star game this year, how many other All Stars have we had come from Louisville? All right, so Will Smith is only the second professional Cardinal to make an all-star appearance. First one was Adam Duvall back in 2016, back when he was at the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, he was an all-star then, and I believe he also competed in the home run derby back in 2015, 2016, around then too. Uh, so Will Smith is number two. And I can't imagine that before too long we may not see you know somebody else add to that list too, you know, it could be a couple of years off, but you know, if some guy like Henry keeps doing what they're doing or Reed Detmers, you know, if he keeps doing what he's doing, they wouldn't surprise me or Bobby Miller, you know, wouldn't surprise me to see one of those guys just add to that list over time. Yeah. Will Smith certainly will not be the last. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you for running us down the cards and the pros. I know you spend a lot of time keeping up with those guys and that's a, that's a full-time job aside from your other full-time jobs that you have and going to school and all that fun stuff. So appreciate the updates. And just to let everybody know, we will be coming back here shortly to talk about this recruiting class. Kind of want to see how everything shakes out, who signs, who doesn't sign. And then we'll dive a little bit deeper in that this summer and continue to bring as much content as we possibly can. So in the meantime, Aaron, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at AJTurn22, or you can follow all the alumni updates at the Louisville Baseball Alumni Report. And same here. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Sefkovic or on Card Chronicle, keeping everybody up to date on all things Louisville Baseball with my writings as well. And in the words of Sean Moth, we will see you at the ballpark. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.